what? You have a podcast? Can we just take a second and fully abbreviate this moment together? Don't spare me on Thanksgiving. So you have to kind of wonder, why is tobacco so dangerous? Well, we thought we would ask a member of Congress who uses it, who smokes an occasional cigar. Troy Nels joins us tonight. Congressman, grateful uh, that you're here willing to stand up for the most American of all pleasures, which is tobacco. Sorry to say it. It's true. It founded the country. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics podcast. I am your host, Kyle Frame, and today is Monday, January 16th, 2023. But you wouldn't have guessed that if you listened to the opening quote from Tucker Carlson last week. So apparently Republicans were super pissed off when Nancy Pelosi was speaker and she said, you know what, this is a government building, maybe we shouldn't have smoking in here. So now that Kevin McCarthy is in charge, apparently one of the things that he just couldn't wait to do, one of his first official acts as speaker of the House of Representatives for these United States is to allow smoking indoors. Congrats. Like, even if this is a thing, I don't get the cheerleading by Tucker to do it. Um, I'm guessing it has to do with that whole, like, this is what being a man is, and being a man is a cigar. Like, he goes out of his way to mention cigar, right? Like, like that's the thing. That's a manly thing to smoke. And, and yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't think smoking has a gender associated with it. I mean, you did have the old ads of, like, people like John Wayne or people who look like John Wayne in his cowboy hat and everything, smoking a cigar, being like, woohoo, be a cowboy, smoke a cigar or smoke a cigarette. Um, but I recall just as many ads, you know, with, you know, attractive women as well. So I don't know where the, the masculine thing came out. It just seems odd to me like like I don't care I don't know I grew up in a household both my parents smoked so I never equated smoking with a specific gender or piece of masculinity versus femininity I I, I don't know I, I just never got it so uh, this whole Tucker Carlson you know uh, saying that this is a this is a thing and it's part of our heritage and blah I just don't get that doesn't make any sense to me at all. It, it does. It just doesn't track. And also, I mean, yes, the first cash crop in the United States was tobacco. However, it certainly wasn't the last. It's not the one that made us the most wealthy. And it's also something really old that doesn't necessarily make us who we are. This country was also made extremely wealthy through slavery. And I don't see like anybody asking for that back i mean not anyone serious but you know it's it's one of those things it's like yes we acknowledge this thing was in our past we have a past it's called history it's a thing in the past and we can leave it there we we don't have to bring it with us and smoking is one of those things that's like yeah some people do it personally i i think you know, if you want to get on the whole smoking thing about whether or not it should be legal or what, I'm like, first off, I kind of like the not indoors thing. I have absolutely no problem with this. Now, also growing up with a smoking family, it wasn't a big deal to me to go into a restaurant and ask for smoking versus non-smoking. Uh, I understand why they ended up making it blanket fucking nowhere, and that's fine. I have no problem with this. Smoking areas outside make total sense to me. Not an issue. Um... 
And I don't have a problem with people smoking. I have a problem with the corporations that have lied about it and also put like chemical additives and shit in it. Like if you told me like this is basically what I think should happen with marijuana. I don't want big, huge corporations getting involved. I think I don't even think you should be able to sell it. What I think is very simple. You are allowed to buy the seeds. I think the government should control the seeds and be like, you can buy the seeds from us at, you know, cost plus the tax, whatever the tax is for that particular item. And you can grow it all you want. You can share it all you want. You can give it away all you want. You cannot sell it. Like, I think that should be the rule. And that way, if somebody wants to smoke this shit, at least they're smoking the actual leaf, you know, the actual tobacco leaf or the marijuana leaf, like... That is what you want. You are getting it. It is your soil, your water, any chemicals or fertilizers or anything you want to use on this thing is your business. And that way, if you inhale it, nobody's at fault except yourself. Like if you want to, you know, bring it down to its brass tacks of like pure libertarianism, I think that's the way to go. Not to say, you know, the libertarianism of let corporations do whatever the fuck they want and the consumer's just screwed, but rather give the consumer all the power. Hey, here's this thing. Here's how the fuck to grow it even. Here's a pot. Here's some soil. Plant this fucker. Grow it yourself. Smoke it all you want. Like, we're not going to stop you, but if anyone's going to sell it, it has to be the pure, unadulterated product. Give it straight to the consumer as is. Here it is. And by the way, this is kind of how I am on a lot of drugs. I think the government should be involved in the drug trade. Sorry. I mean, in a way, the CIA already is. So let's let's just get serious about it. Let's put out the purest possible form. Like you would go to a government dispensary, whatever. You want cocaine, you want heroin. I really don't give a shit. But my problem is, and I think this would also solve a problem we're going to talk about later, is at least then you know the government's not going to be lacing your shit with some, like, rat poison or, you know, liquid Drano or whatever the hell else it is, right? At least then you're getting a 100% pure product. And the government can, you know, I guess if you consider taxes a form of profit, the government could profit off of that. But you're cutting out the middleman. Government sells it at cost plus whatever the tax is determined by the state and or federal government. There you go. And, again, I, I believe that this would at least cut down on the accidental overdoses and deaths from, you know, drug dealers not selling pure product. And again, also, I don't think tobacco, you know, tobacco wasn't a huge problem. Yes, people smoked, but it wasn't a, a habitual, oh my God, I need it thing because I don't think tobacco naturally has nicotine in it. Like nicotine, even if it is natural in there, is not at the levels that your current cigarette is. They pump that shit in there. Like it's, it's supposed to be there to hook you. So, you know, I, I think that is the easiest fix that for some reason nobody wants to go ahead and, and legislate it all, which I, I think is crazy. But, I mean, if you want to fix the drug problem in this country, we can get really fucking serious about it really fast. It's just the problem is, is you would end up cutting in on somebody's, somebody's side action. And, you know, in this country we can't have that. We're going to end up talking about that later again, too. Um, you know, but I wanted to start off today kind of on a, a lighter topic, I guess, of the crazy train that is Tucker Carlson actually saying that, you know, smoking indoors is a, a thing we should do and Nancy Pelosi. Now, now uh, here's something I'll defend Nancy Pelosi for, or at least I'll say this. 
The idea of making it not okay to smoke indoors in the Capitol building is not insane, okay? It's not a good or a bad. I think it's neutral. I really, it, it doesn't bother me one way or the other if they smoke in the Capitol or not. I just think it's funny that Tucker Carlson's going out of his way to make an entire segment on his show, the most watched show in all of cable news, about how they can smoke in the Capitol now. Like, who gives a fuck, first off? Like, what, what does this honestly have to do about anything? It's all culture war, you know, masculine bullshit. It's it's fake. It's not real. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anyone outside of the 435 members of Congress. It really doesn't. It's dumb. Whatever. Uh, but I wanted to start off today with a crazy train, and unfortunately that means I'm going to end up playing a clip from my favorite white right-wing loon, uh, Nick Fuentes. Um, I've played him before, I think twice now, basically the same clip where he calls for a dictatorship to force the American people to see things his way. Um, and he's a extremely anti-Semitic and very racist and authoritarian and everything. Um, but this is interesting. So last week I talked about how Marjorie Taylor Greene's trying to do this pivot. She's been working at it for a long time and it's been subtle. You know, it's kind of like um, that saying, it, it happens slowly over a long period of time and then suddenly all at once. Uh, that's kind of what Marjorie Taylor Greene has done. You know, for a lot of people who weren't paying attention, she's always been the crazy lady. And then all of a sudden there's this massive pivot you know, with the Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker. And it's like, what do you mean? She's denouncing QAnon as some crazy Facebook conspiracy she got hooked into like the rest of us? Like, what? Seriously? And all of a sudden she's fighting with Bobert and Matt Gates and everybody else. And it seems very strange. But for people who've been paying attention for a long time, it's like, no, actually, she's been working on this slowly for a long period of time. You know, and I heard it referred to uh, or read it that it was referred to as basically she came into Congress and realized if you're going to be a flamethrower, you're not going to get anything done. Like, nobody's going to want to work with you. You're going to be the crazy person off to the side, and you're not going to get shit done. And she decided, well, I want to be effective. I want to actually do something. I don't know what her goals or ambitions are if one day she uh, aspires to be speaker, but this would be the path that you would take to do this. You know, uh, she's paying her dues to the RNC, which is something Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert are not doing. Uh, you know, so she is on the leadership track as of right now. She already has money. She has the fan base. And she's, you know, doing everything she's supposed to. She's back in current leadership, which is the quickest way to become leader yourself. Uh, but it seems like she's made a conscious decision to shift. And this has definitely angered some people. And, you know, I'm never going to not find enjoyment in MAGA versus MAGA. So this little bit from Matt Fuentes, or Nick Fuentes, excuse me, is him basically talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene and what has happened with her. Fancy dinners and doing all that kind of stuff. She loves the office. She loves power. She loves a celebrity. She loves the money. She loves a lifestyle. But no integrity. And she's one of these people... And it's so typical in politics who gets told, this is how it works. This is what you have to do. And she is so fearful of losing what she has that she's going to play ball. And this is what happens. People get in there and they, they get 
and Jews are very good at this. Jews are very good at conjuring these fantasies. They conjure your wildest dreams before you. They're like spellcasters or wizards. They conjure a fantasy before your eyes, your wildest dreams. That's how they sell you. And they say, you can have all this. They're like Jafar, you know, or Rasputin. All this can be yours, but you just have to do it my way. You just have to do it this way. So the pivot there to Jewish wizards was kind of interesting. Um, you know, I was on board for the first minute or so. I thought he was just going to go after the whole she's she's into it for the money and the fame and the power. Uh, and then all of a sudden he goes off on this tangent because that's what these right wing nationals, radicals can do. They can't help but pull, you know, the stereotypes and the attacks on Jews into it. Like it, it, somebody can't just be in it for themselves. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene has no ego. She's a good person. It's secretly the Jews that do this. And this this has been around for a long time. You hear this. This is basically any time somebody on the right doesn't do exactly what, you know, the, the fan base wants, they immediately have to find a scapegoat. Because you have to understand, people need to feel, like, confident in their choices. And they can't start thinking, hey, I can't trust the people in charge because, hey, do you remember Marjorie Taylor Greene? Like, I put all my eggs in her basket and she turned out to be not one of the good ones, right? So they have to create an other. That's always the base fear of right-wing nationalism and right-wing fear-mongering is the other. Be it immigrants, Jews, it really doesn't matter. The other is always scary as shit and you have to be worried about them. Not us. We're good people, but it's the other. See what they do? They took Marjorie Taylor Greene, who you liked, and they transformed her because that's what they do. They transform you. The other changes everything. And that that's constant. That's what the culture war thing is all about, really is, hey, do you see what happens when you bring diversity into Hollywood? All of a sudden, all your TV shows look different, and they changed, and the stories are different, and, and they're not what they used to be. They, they, they caused everything to be different. It's bad. And that's basically the story that they sell over and over again. And they can't just have the idea that I think is natural, but for some reason, they fight tooth and nail of, hey, human beings evolve, you know? It's entirely possible Marjorie Taylor Greene came in from Florida, or Georgia? I think she's Georgia. Sorry about that, Florida. She's not yours. Uh, but she came in from Georgia into Congress with 434 other people and realized, wow, they all fucking hate me. And I have to imagine, I, I, I do this all the time, I put myself in someone else's shoes. I show up to a room where I have to now work with 434 people, and they all fucking hate me. Every single one of them. My boss doesn't want to defend me. You know, the people on the other side hate my guts. The people within my inner circle hate me. And yeah, I got my little click with Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert of like four people. But still, that's 1% out of the other 99% that absolutely hate my guts and hope nothing but harm to me. Like, there are only two options there. Retreat or try to change. I mean, in real life, okay, we're not, we're not all gonna, you know, be comfortable being the outcast. That's just not who we are. There are exceptions to that rule. But for the most part, most of us want to fit in desperately. 
And so I find it completely plausible that Marjorie Taylor Greene just found herself in a situation she did not care for and started taking active steps to repair. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, it would happen to any of us. If you showed up somewhere and everyone instantly hated you, yeah, things would be awkward and you would hate that and you'd find a way to remedy that. And I think she has. Um, it will still be interesting if this percolates a little more and further away from the Nick Fuentes bubble into her larger base bubble. If her base really starts to turn on her to the point that she starts seeing a primary challenge as a threat, whether or not she will revert to what got her there to begin with, which is to jump right onto the Nick Fuentes bandwagon. Um, and if she does that, then we'll know that she's a, an absolutely pure politician in the, in the purest sense of say anything to get reelected. You know, I have no code or moral authority at all. But as, as far as like going from conspiracy theory to normal, I'm not going to say that's a flip-flopper. You know, usually when a politician changes their mind on something, they get this negative label of, oh, you're a flip-flopper. And they're trying to apply that to her, but me being a human being and having the ability of empathy, I'm sitting here going, okay, if I was really stuck in the weeds on a conspiracy theory and everyone ostracized me for it and I changed my mind and I said, you know, maybe there isn't, Maybe there isn't something to this. Maybe this is as crazy as the experts say it is. And I start looking into it and I change my mind. I soften my stances and I go to everybody. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I got caught up in some shit. The last thing I would want as a human being is everyone suddenly to be like, oh, see, you're not you're full of shit. You never believe that. Like that, that's horrible, right? So I am willing to give her the benefit of the doubt just a teeny tiny bit teeny tiny because again she could change her mind tomorrow i don't know if this is legit or not i'm believing her that this is one of those things again she came into a situation it wasn't happy for her at all she's decided to change we'll see this does not by any stretch make her even a reasonable republican because i don't think there is such a thing she is still a lunatic she still wants to dismantle everything and I would still never vote for her in a billion years. There's not a single Democrat you could put on the other side of the ballot versus Marjorie Taylor Greene that would make me say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm voting for her. Like, that's just not a person that exists. Could it? Maybe. If the Democrats go as crazy as the Republicans have? Sure. Sure. Who knows? Um, but in this case, uh, no, th this is, uh, kind of that, uh, Liz Cheney thing. I'd probably never vote for her, but I do believe that she has some level of principle. It's low. It's a low bar because for fuck's sake, all she is is pro-democracy and anti-coup. That's a very low bar. Everything else she does, I disagree with vehemently, but I give her props. I'll be like, Hey, you know what? She has a line. Somebody crossed it and she said, no, nah, I'm not cool with that. And I got to give props to that, even if I disagree with everything the fuck else they say. And you have to understand, finding somebody in Washington or in politics in general who does have a red line, who does have principle, is hard to find. So when you do find them, I urge you, don't just shut them out because you disagree with the other 99% of the stuff they say. Chances are, once you find out they have principle, you can at least take them seriously. 
They might believe some batshit crazy things, but at least now you know that they have principle. You could say, okay, I don't think they're saying that for votes. I think they really do believe it. And that helps because one of the problems we have in our country right now is as soon as we hear a Republican talking, we dismiss them as crazy. And the same happens on the other side. There are people in this country who, as soon as they hear a Democrat talking, they assume they're full of shit and they're crazy. So when you find somebody with principle, I urge you, don't just shut them out because, hey, you know what? Me and him agree on one thing, but, you know, and I'm not even talking about agreement. I'm talking about principle. Like this is, they've demonstrated a clear red line. Like this is where I stand on this. And that is very hard to find in politics in general. And most politicians, you just, unfortunately, are they're never put in a situation where they have to demonstrate where that red line is for them. Like, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger could have gone their entire careers had Trump never shown up, and we would have all hated them and thought they were batshit lunatics the entire time. But Trump was elected, then Trump lost, then Trump tried to steal an election, and they had to demonstrate where their line was. And that's cool for them, you know, that we finally have, hey, you know what? I believe something about this person that I can take to the bank. Whereas most politicians, you're like, I don't know. I mean, everybody's crying about this George Santos guy, who, if you don't know, he's a New York congressperson, just got elected. And apparently he's never told anything true in his life. Uh, at one point, he said his mother died in like 2016. And another time, though, she's, he said she died in 9-11. That's just one of the things. He said he's a millionaire, but he's not. He has no money, but he graduated college, but he didn't. I mean, the, everything this guy has said, like everything. At this point, the meme is we'd all be surprised if his name really is George Santos. But because the House majority is so narrow, Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans will not expel him because they're afraid the, Republic, the governor of New York right now is a Democrat. Now, I think this is stupid, and I think this is weakness on Kevin McCarthy's part. If I'm Kevin McCarthy, I'm like, okay, I can't lose a single vote. But I've got this guy over here named George Santos who can't tell anything true. Like, I don't believe anything this man says. He is a con man and a grifter of the highest order. What do you do about that? And if I'm him, I go up to New York, I call the governor, hey, Governor of New York, I'm the Speaker of the fucking House. I have a problem. This asshole, we need to get rid of him. But I'm in a bind. How about you pick a Republican, a normal one, to fill the seat? You can have a special election later, but fill the vacancy right now with anybody. So that way they're the incumbent. And we'll have another election, but at least then the Republicans will have an incumbent advantage. And I think that's the compromise here. I think that really is. If he goes up and he says, look, we'll expel this fucker because there is no way he should be here at all. Right? Fuck qualifications. This guy can't tell anything true. We need to get rid of him. All he does, He's just a huge headache that won't go away. Every day, the, the, the New York Times finds more shit this guy's lied about. Let's make a deal. But this guy, that this is why I don't think McCarthy's all that great, is he doesn't seem capable of making deals. Like, his whole idea of making deals is just giving you whatever you want so that he gets what he wants. 
Like, he can't strong arm anybody. I don't think he's very creative. Because if he was, again, he would have gone over to the House Democrats in the middle of all that bullshit and been like, what do you need? What do you want? What promises do you need to to be elect, to, to get me elected speaker so that we can end this shit? But not once did he ever make any, like, handout to the Democrats. He never, not once. No olive branch. No nothing. He strictly worked within his own party, and he basically ended up having to give them everything. Which is the subject of our next topic. Stay in Mexico, you have to right off the bat. You've got to stop fentanyl from coming across. You've got to stop the cartel's control of the border. We'll also go through and look at all the prosecutors and score them of whether they're prosecuting and upholding the law. Shouldn't we know where the origins of COVID actually started? They didn't have one hearing on it. The next thing you have to do is bring greater productivity, right? So incentivize people to go to work, not to stay home. Don't pay them more to stay home. Another provision is not to defund the police, but fund the police. We'll provide more grants to give more recruiting opportunity for officers to come and training. Fentanyl, in time, anybody who wants to move it, you can prosecute them for the death penalty. Then you've got to make sure America's energy independent. If you lower the price of fuel, you also lower transportation costs and others. That is a very big mark to start out with. That's what we plan to do. It also creates more American jobs, make us less dependent in other areas, but makes America stronger and higher paid. I mean, Washington has so much wasteful spending, we can curve that. And that's what we should start looking at from day one, and you'll see Right after the election next week, I will come out with a number of provisions to get our house in order financially. You've got to curtail government spending. I think the first thing you'll see is a, um, a bill to control the border first. Shouldn't we know what happened in the last 60 days of Afghanistan so we would never repeat that again? We wouldn't have 13 new Gold Star families? It should have never happened. First thing we're going to do is make sure an economy that's strong. So right off the bat, we got a lot of that. That that was an interview given just before the election in November where Kevin McCarthy was trying to drum up and say what we're going to do. He talked a lot about the border, about fentanyl, about funding the police, uh, about, you know, death penalty for drug dealers, which I think is very, uh, very crazy. Um, and, and there was a lot going on in that. And I wanted to make sure that you knew that because I believe in holding people accountable as well. And something that he said, you know, he said these were going to be his priorities. These were going to be, you know, he had several things he said on day one, this is what we're going to do. And last week was week one after the speaker vote. And I just wanted to go over, these are the actual bills that were put into effect and passed, okay? Uh, some of them took more than one vote. That was usually some wheeling and dealing over, over nothing. But all of this, all of this is actually the priority because this is what was done in the first five working days of the House of Representatives. On Monday, you had H.R. 5, which was the new rules for the 118th Congress. The big rule changes this time around are that any single member can call for a vote to remove the speaker. Again, this is this is basically what's going to hold Kevin McCarthy hostage for as long as he is speaker. Basically, anytime he does anything that somebody doesn't like, particularly Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, and that crowd, they are going to attack him. One of the proposed 
problems is that apparently they want absolutely zero dealing with the Democrats. If anything passes in the House, it must be passed solely with Republican input. If a Democrat has anything positive to say about the bill, then they're going to trash it. So that that is the threat, basically, is that he has the title, but he doesn't really have any power because, again, he's not really deciding anything. Um, another thing is any single member can call to terminate or reduce the salary of any federal office. Now, this... Uh, requires the Senate and the president to go along with it, of course. But basically what they're doing is they're hoping to intimidate federal officers and not just anybody. So for example, they really hate the Secretary of Homeland Security right now. Uh, if they can't impeach him, what they want to do is be able to pass a bill that basically reduces their salary to $1. That takes away their money. And they want the ability to do this to any federal official. And right now they have it. So anytime anybody has a grievance with anyone, they can just attack them. Merrick Garland, any cabinet level official, all the way down to a lowly FBI peon, can suddenly find themselves on the end of a House resolution to end their salary. You know, they can't fire them because that is the purview of the president, but they can make their life a living hell. Now, for some of these cabinet level officials, they're going to be fine, okay? They, they have money. Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they, where they are. That's unfortunately where we are right now. This is also hypothetically why I hate the idea of, oh, Congress should, uh, should, should make less. You know, the idea that Congress people make so much is crazy. And I'm like, well, you know, they're all millionaires anyway. You know, you, you're not going to hurt the majority of them. The Mitch McConnells, the Nancy Pelosi's, they're going to look at you and be like, yeah, whatever, man, this doesn't matter. Um, so it, it's it's something that we like to say, but it's not something that actually has any effect. Like Congress would pass that laughing at us if we actually got it. But this is an attack. This is basically something they want to do to intimidate and attack members of the government who are possibly investigating them. This will come up again later. Uh, and then another rule that they put into effect is that any any tax rate increases will require a three-fifths majority of the House, which means you're going to need all of one side of the aisle plus about 40 members of the other side. So it, that would come out to 261 votes. Any tax increase. Now, this is weird to me. So the right always phrases tax increases as if they're coming after you, right? It's always your taxes. Um, and the left is always like, no, we don't want to raise taxes on the poorest. That's stupid. We want to raise taxes on people like Elon Musk. Um, and so what I genuinely see here is because no one in my lifetime has really seriously proposed raising my taxes. I don't see that as a threat. Like the only people who want to raise my taxes are the people calling for a flat tax because that would in a roundabout way raise my taxes. Uh, but everybody else who's suggesting a progressive tax system, which is what we have and they want to adjust, basically this stops any funding. So Republicans talked a big game, especially during that clip I played you about reducing debt and reducing you know, uh, waste, fraud, and abuse. That was always the thing. And it's like, okay, well you... On your first day, literally the first bill you passed, created a resolution that makes it harder to generate income for the government. So this is actually going to have the opposite effect that you were looking for.
um, which means they're not serious about that to me. Again, you know, if you're talking about waste, fraud, and abuse, and then you go ahead and you make it harder to raise people's taxes, I'm sorry, man. Uh, that That's just not... We're not going to fix this problem by cutting. There's no amount of cutting you can do to fix this. Okay. Then they uh, passed H.R. 23, which is to rescind money to the IRS. So during the Build Back Better bill or whatever the hell Joe Biden called it, uh, they went ahead and they added uh, about mm, 80 billion or so to the IRS funding budget. Now this was intentional. The IRS has been criminally underfunded for years, okay? Uh, for everybody who hates the IRS, um, the reason the IRS mostly targets us nowadays is because we do not have the financial means to fight them. So, if you have an IRS department that is all about criminal forensics and figuring out what the hell's going on in your accounting, uh, they're going to come after you and me way before they go after, like, say, Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs has an army of lawyers and can wait the government out. They're just not going to win that. They do not have the funding to take care of it. So, the money that was specifically allocated to the IRS was so that they could go after these bigger fish, these real massive tax cheats. For example, we just recently found out that the former president went two whole years without paying a single dime in taxes, which is insane. That should not be happening. Um, you know, if he really is as wealthy as he is or any millionaire should be paying some fucking taxes. I'm sorry. Um, but basically, this is kind of interesting because the CBO, which is the Congressional Budget Office, and basically what they do is they score every bill. And they score it in such a way as to say, hey, we predict that this bill will cost X number of dollars or save X number of dollars uh, to the, you know, American taxpayer. And in this case, the CBO estimates that H.R. 23, again, assuming it went through the Senate and the president signed it, uh, would actually add $114 billion to the deficit. Because right now, okay, that money's on the books. So the IRS has that money and they're going to prosecute. And the CBO already scored that they are going to generate about $114 billion in people who owe their goddamn taxes. And again, the target is mega corporations and the extremely insanely wealthy. Not us. They're not getting $114 billion out of you and me. Um, but this is, again, the first actual law they tried to pass. And again, one of the things he said was he wanted to fund the police. The IRS are law enforcement, just not the kind of laws that you think of. But they are essentially the police. They go after tax cheats. That is an important thing when you have as much money as the United States and when billionaires have, enough, have so much money themselves. You have to understand, they don't just hire one accountant. They have a team of accountants whose sole job is to find a way to, you know, make money for them and to find loopholes in the tax law that get them more. So again, first two things they did have absolutely nothing to do with anything Kevin McCarthy was talking about in that clip. The next thing they did was H.R. 11, Select Committee on Strategic Competition Between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party. Now, this one passed bipartisan support. Apparently, it's something that needs to happen. And it's just a, it's a committee that's going to investigate our competition with China. Now, I'm inherently against this because I don't like the idea of competition when it comes to economy and things like this. Like, 
honestly, I I don't think it needs to happen on the congressional level. I don't need Congress people dealing with this. So Congress is supposed to represent us, and us are stupid. I'm sorry. We are dumb people. And the last thing I want is dumb people making decisions about the Chinese Communist Party. Now, this committee doesn't actually have any binding power at all. All they're going to do is make recommendations to the president because the president is the one who determines foreign policy. But this seems to be a thing. I think it's virtue signaling. So the right hates China because communism and the left hates China because, you know, um, they have cheap goods that come over here and steal jobs from us and, you know, yada, yada. And so both of them joined forces on this this thing here. It's, uh, I believe, a 16-member panel with nine members of Republicans and seven for Democrats. I think it's pretty much just virtue signaling. Like, I don't think they're actually going to do anything with this. I'd be interested, I think, if they were actually going to take it seriously. I'm not sure how serious it's going to be. But again, this is going after the Chinese Communist Party. And I did think that was funny that that's specifically in there. Not China. Not the Chinese people. It's the Communist Party. It's just the communists. It's the communists. Which, I'm sorry, China's not communist. Okay, they treat their serfs like that. They treat their people like that. But China itself is all about the oligarchy. Like, they love making money. They love it. It's fantastic for them. They have McDonald's over there. I'm sorry, that's not communist. Um, they, they have transitioned to some kind of pseudo-weird mesh of capitalism with the communist party um well i guess that's wrong communism is a form of government uh capitalism is a form of economy so yeah they're, they're basically a capitalist communist nation which is it's odd it's odd but i also don't buy into the whole fear-mongering when it comes to china china is about to implode on itself seriously Anybody who's sitting here thinking that we need to really take them seriously, we only need to take them seriously as far as places like Hong Kong and Taiwan. I want to keep them out of Hong Kong and Taiwan. If they start shit in Tibet more than they already are, I think we also need to take an interest in that. But that's with foreign policy. That's with violence. Okay. But as far as fearing the economic model of China or anything like that, again, they have entire cities where no one lives in them. The cities are brand new. No one has ever lived in them. They have to keep building to keep inflating everything. They're just building because if they stop, their economy will crash. It is a shell game, a, a house of cards, How, whatever your metaphor. They are not the enemy that everybody thinks they are. Okay, They are about to implode on themselves. Their one-child policy has massively fucked them over. Okay, Their next generation, their next 20 years, they are walking on eggshells right now. That is why Xi Jinping is attacking with such an iron fist on everything, okay? He is going after dissenters hardcore because he knows it only takes a little spark right now and the whole thing comes crashing down. He can't have that. He has to have total control over his nation or they're screwed. This is what he's going through right now. China is not, they're a paper dragon. They are not, not real. I just don't believe it. That's why... Taiwan actually isn't. If they were real, if they had a strong economy and they weren't afraid of everything, they would go ahead and take Taiwan. Because I think they know the United States wouldn't go full bore into war with them over Taiwan. I'd like to think we would. But I think ultimately, 
given the right time, given our politics, especially with the House right now, whether or not we would go to war, like a full-fledged real war with another nuclear power, I think China would call our bluff. But because they don't have the economy to back them and they know that wars are won and lost by logistics, I, I think they know they, they would just get their ass kicked. It's kind of what happened in World War II. Nobody had the logistics the United States did. We could afford to build this massive war machine and export it. Where everybody else, yeah, they had massive war machines, but they were constantly on the defensive. I mean, we won that war because of logistics. China, I think, knows we would not win if we decide to take on the whole world. Because if you go up against Taiwan, it wouldn't just be America. The EU would immediately cut ties. All of us would cut ties with China overnight, and China's entire economy would collapse instantaneously. And it would be a huge mess. Um, they're already walking on eggshells as it is. I don't see the point in this other than you're signaling to people that you take them seriously. I, I don't know. I don't see it. Uh, the next thing, of course, is the real damaging one that I think is going to create all the headlines, and that is H.R. 12, the Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. This is Jim Jordan and his magic 14 FBI agents who have come to his office and complained about the bipartisanship, or excuse me, the partisanship that's going on there. Uh, this is the McCarthy hearings all over again. This is this is total fake bullshit. I called it from day one. As soon as he said, we have 14 FBI members who have come to us, I'm like, that sounds an awful lot like McCarthy. You know, that sounds very specific. Again, the key point of McCarthyism is to give a very specific number because it sounds more true. This is backed by science, believe it or not. So if you say, hey, I have, uh, th there are hundreds of people in the army who are communist and we're going to investigate them. That sounds... Eh, okay, whatever. But if you come out and you say, hey, I have 57 names of individuals who are communist and work in the army. Well, holy shit, that sounds very specific. He must be telling the truth. Now, of course, under scrutiny, it all falls apart. It's all, it's all a shadow game. But that is the key component of McCarthyism is you're not trying to win the people who actually read the article. You're trying to win the people who read the headline. And that is what Jim Jordan and them are doing right now when they say we have 14 specific FBI agents who came to us. Not whistleblowers, mind you. There is a procedure for whistleblowing, but whistleblowing goes to everybody in Congress. It goes to both parties. In this case, they are saying, and this is a way for them to protect them and also to keep these names secret and then be able to go off of innuendo and they could say, well, FBI agent number seven, who I will never name, will never be brought under oath and has, will you know, this person will never be known to anybody but me. But he said, I mean, it's it's third-hand information at best with the inability of cross-examination. This isn't Alexander Vindman being dragged before Congress, being able to be questioned by both sides of what he knew and when he knew it. These are invisible people. They will never come before Congress. And I guarantee you, even if they do find one or get somebody to come before Congress, swear an oath to tell the truth and you know, be threatened with perjury if they don't, it's going to end up being a big nothing burger, okay? Now, obviously, they'll have something because they'll have that person there for eight hours or ten hours, and in that long, you will find something to clip and snip and edit in such a way as to make it sound like it's a bigger thing, but in reality, it's not going to be anything. Um, 
But I believe that that is their real weapon that they're coming for right now. This whole thing is to protect Trump and also to make their base happy. Their base was really mad after January 6th, and all of a sudden you have hundreds of people actually being arrested and prosecuted and found guilty and going to prison for attempting a coup. This is the attack against them because the right believes that, well, the right doesn't believe it. They know it's full of shit, but they're selling the story that actually the people who were the coup people were the Antifa, and it was secretly an FBI hoax to arrest you. You are loyal viewer. It's all about you. Um, so that one, that one also is something else that's there. Again, something not really mentioned by him. <clears throat> but then we get to what I consider the real meat and potatoes of last week. House Resolution 26, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Is a solution in search of a problem. So this act, what it does is it says if you go to get an abortion and the abortion fails, meaning the child is born. The doctor who is there performing the abortion must immediately transition to caregiver and has to immediately do everything they can to save the life of the child, give them to, you know, make sure they're uh, placed in a hospital and taken care of. And that if they don't do that, then they can face five years of prison time and or be charged with murder, which each state and each law, you know, depends on that kind of a thing. So, and it also gives the mother, right, the ability to sue the doctor for failing the abortion and actually making sure the baby's born, which, odd, okay, uh, but basically what this is doing, this is an attack on doctors. This makes doctors all of a sudden have to wonder, well, now I'm opening myself up to a lawsuit that wasn't previously there, and I'm opening myself up to prosecution that maybe was there. See, this is the stupid thing. Most laws already said this was the case. Like, a doctor, first off, failed abortions never fucking happen. Like... And when I mean never, okay, it's like 0.0000001% of all abortions, possibly. But, like, you you can't find a single case of a baby being born on accident because they were supposed to be aborted. Like, it just has never happened. Ever. Ever. Let alone, has it ever happened? And then the doctor said, well, I'm not taking care of it. I was supposed to kill this bastard. Like, that never happened this is a situation that never happened and also there's never been a mother who was the i guess victim of a failed abortion who wanted to sue the doctor like you fucked up and then couldn't like this has never happened and also it wouldn't need there's no reason for this to be a federal law because most states have laws about shit like this like first off you can sue your fucking doctor for malpractice like that is always the case okay if you go to have gallbladder surgery and they fucking rip out something else on accident you can sue them no amount of contracts is going to protect them for that uh and and this is the same thing that this just isn't a thing that happens you can't google search and find a legitimate credible article of this ever happening ever 
So it's a very weird thing to happen, especially when these people always talk about states' rights, states' rights, states' rights. And remember, the key argument of overruling Roe v. Wade and, and the Dobbs decision was, look, we just don't think the federal government should be involved. We think the states should decide. And yet, what is one of the very first things the Republicans do when they're in power? Try to pass a federal law. And I think that is extremely telling. I think it's something we need to hold their feet to the fire for. And anybody who argues states' rights has to know it's only states' rights when they want it to be. It is not a principle that they have. This is a problem, or this is a solution in search of a problem. It just doesn't exist. It's useless. Um, again, this would require all kinds of things to be happening uh, again, the, the Senate would have to take it up and the president would have to sign it and that wouldn't happen. So the whole point of this is to signal to their base, hey, everybody, if we get in power again, you can expect more stuff like this. Which I think should turn everyone off. But again, this is one of those things McCarthy got dragged into. Uh, and then attached to it was a concurrent resolution, number three, that Congress be mandated to condemn violent attacks against any pro-life organization and demands that the executive guarantees their safety via law enforcement. So pro-life institutions are any groups or political groups or churches. Um, and here's another thing that is a problem. So I have never heard, now I'm going to claim ignorance on this one. I haven't really looked up, but I do know I've never heard of a situation where somebody attacked a church because they were pro-life. Or, you know, I, I've never heard of a bombing at a pro-life uh, medical center, which they do have. They, they have those. They are promoted in some of the southern red states. I've never heard of that. The only place I hear about bombings or intimidation or any kind of violence whatsoever are at places that perform abortions or advocate for them or whatever. So it seems really strange to me. This is another thing I think is a solution in search of a problem. This is not a problem. Now, it could be a problem because if these fuckers get their way, maybe there will be violence against them. I could see that and this could be their way of like trying to circumvent that. But basically, they're trying to say that Congress condemns violent attacks, but only against the pro-life group. Now, I think it should go without saying that they should condemn all attacks like i'm not in favor of attacks on anybody no violence and that they should maybe do that but that doesn't really gin up anything and really again it goes to the whole core support not only do you want they want pro-life people to win they want them to feel protected and safe don't worry the culture warriors aren't coming for you you won't have protests outside your house you won't have people shooting at you you won't have people firebombing your hospital that only happens at abortion clinics. So, you know, and Planned Parenthood. Uh, so this is another thing that really, and again, this is not something that McCarthy ran on, nor is it something that he talked about, abortion. Yet the first major piece of legislation that they actually pass, again, the first two, uh, stripping money from the IRS and abortion. And not in like positive, we want to make sure they're good everywhere ways, more of the we want to do federal ban shit. So this is, I believe in holding people accountable. They promised one thing. 
again, this is always goes back to that whole, you promised jobs, 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 right? Cause that's, that's, that was the John Boner thing way back when was he was big on like this election's about jobs, jobs, jobs. And then they got in office and they didn't do anything the fuck about jobs because secretly all politicians know there's really very little you can do about the economy. You can, you can fuck around with it on the periphery, but you really can't like ultimately change it, especially if you are a capitalist trying to reform a capitalist system. I'm sorry. It's just not going to get changed much. You can't change that system all that way. Uh, the last thing they passed though, uh, is kind of interesting, um, on its face it passed also with bipartisan support. Luckily, most of the intelligent Democrats didn't do it. Uh, so the squad, of course, voted against this. But last thing was H.R. 22, Protecting America's Strategic Petroleum Reserve from China Act. <sighs> so they talked about gas prices a lot prior to the election. And now they're basically saying the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, if the president opens it up, he can't sell it to China. Now, this has actually happened. Uh, when Biden last opened up the petroleum reserve, apparently about 5 million gallons of oil was sold to China. And this really pissed off people, I guess. Um, so here's the interesting thing. At first, it, you know, it almost sounds like it makes sense. Like, hey, dude, if you're going to open up our strategic reserve, why the fuck are you selling it to other countries? But here's the thing that's interesting. Uh, and the reason that all of a sudden I changed my mind on this one is that this law only prevents President Biden from doing it. It doesn't stop, say, Exxon from doing it. So Exxon can buy... See, when they open up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, they don't give it away for free. That is, uh, that's just something that's not well advertised. Basically, the president opens up the Strategic Oil Preserve, uh, and he doesn't give it away for free. He's opening up for sale. And companies like Exxon or Texaco, wherever the fuck you get your gas, any oil company can go in and then buy it from the government at cost, right? That's a good deal, right? Buying oil at cost, that's great. I don't have to refine it. I don't have to do anything with it. I can just buy it. And they buy millions of gallons and then supposedly they pump that back into your gas tank and then thus dropping prices, right? That's the idea of opening up the strategic reserve. However... Nothing in this law stops Exxon from buying at cost the oil from the government and then selling it to China, which, by the way, they also do. When the president opens up the strategic reserve, it's kind of bullshit because it really doesn't do anything. First off, it maybe lowers gas by a couple pennies, but that's only because there's a massive grift going on here. American oil companies can purchase directly from the strategic preserve, again, at cost, and then turn around and sell it to whoever the fuck they want. Other countries, and they do, at a much larger scale than President Biden selling 5 million gallons over to China, right? This is very, very, like, grifty. It doesn't stop anybody from making a buck. So Exxon can go ahead, basically buy something very cheaply and then turn around throw a 30 percent tax pr uh, profit onto it and then you know sell it to china and that's the interesting thing about this law if they were serious about stopping china from getting our strategic oil they would have put into provisions that also you can't buy from us and then sell it to them but nowhere does it stop that it only stops the president from doing it and that's 
really telling to me. Uh, again, it's it's entirely signaling. They don't want to piss off the oil companies. They don't want to piss off their financiers. And also, they're fine with it as long as somebody can grift. Right? It's a good. De- it's a great deal. If you're a corporation, you can buy straight from the government. You can buy a product at cost, then turn around, mark it up however the hell you want, and sell it to a government. Like that's awesome. That's amazing. Right. But also it's kind of enlightening on the whole process of the strategic oil preserve and why it's kind of bullshit. When the president opens that up, they're basically telling you, hey, surprise, um, oil. (laughs) But it doesn't actually do anything because all you end up doing is lining the pockets of companies that are already making a fortune off of your oil, off the gas prices. Right. It's all just signaling. The the strategic oil preserve, this is one of those things is like when the Republicans like scream about it whenever gas prices are too high or, or any president does it. I think one of the reasons the presidents have always usually like been slow to open them up, open it up, is because they know it's not going to fix anything. It just makes people feel better, right? And again, the strategic oil preserve is a very necessary thing for the United States government. What if, hypothetically, we have a war suddenly? We're going to need that shit. And selling it off is a bad thing. Like, So I think the president and Congress and everybody has done a really poor job of educating everyone about how bullshit this whole thing is. Uh, But also, you know, when you think about it, as far as Biden selling it directly to China... The president is in charge of foreign policy. This is one of those things we elect them to do. We all collectively, one way or the other, chose Joseph Biden to represent us on the foreign stage. So, we don't know what China got out of this. Was this just a straight, hey, we have some oil, pay up, and China paid just for 5 million gallons of oil? And also, why is this a big deal? If we're already selling it to everybody, who gives a fuck if Exxon or China's buying it? And also, given that we're, you know, granting foreign policy powers to the president of the United States, you have to ask yourself, you know, what if he's doing something here? What if this is one of those things that you, it's a kind gesture that you give to an adversary or a competitor to to know that, you know, hey, a few weeks down the line, maybe we'll need a favor. You know, I, I kind of like the idea of government's operating on favors sometimes where China just calls up and is like, hey, man, we're in a bind. Uh, do you have any oil you could spare? And the president's like, actually, yes, I do. I just opened up the strategic oil preserve. I can sell you 5 million or 5 million gallons, barrels. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming it's gallons. Uh, you know, I can sell you this at cost. And China's like, oh, man, thanks. And all that does is create goodwill between the two countries so that next time one of us has to call the other, There's a channel to go through. There's a friendly thing to go through. When you're dealing with foreign policy, favors are just as important as laws or actual policy, right? This is is one of those things. So what this would do, again, luckily the Senate is not going to take this shit up. Actually, the Senate might because this did pass with bipartisan support. And I believe it was veto-proof in the House. We'll see how it goes in the Senate or if the Senate even takes it up. This would require the Senate and the president to go along with it unless the senate also goes veto proof in which case i think this is actually a bad thing because for the reasons i've already mentioned it would reduce the president's ability to get things done right it would it would it would take one more avenue out of the president's hands that he could say hey we can do a favor for this country 
And yeah, we're competitors with them. But this is something that down the road could generate enough goodwill that when we need something, they're willing to go along with it. Like, I want favors and communication and positive things going on between our nation, the United States, and others. And I really don't care. Like, it's a good thing that the president was able to do this for China because, again, down the road, we don't know. Or maybe, maybe this was in exchange for something that's already happened. Maybe China did us a solid a few months ago and it was another small thing that nobody really knows about. And this was one of those things where it's like, hey, I can repay you that favor. And I like that because as long as we're doing that, we're not fighting. And I don't want fighting. Fighting is bad. Trust me, war is bad. We don't want it. Um, but that is one of those interesting things. Uh, so those were the things. Once again, just to go off the top, they changed the rules to make taxes difficult and to remove anybody they want from speaker to intimidate public officials a hell of a lot easier. They rescinded money to the IRS. They created a, a committee to investigate the Chinese Communist Party, one to investigate the federal government for, you know, reasons, uh, two abortion bills, and uh, don't let China have oil as long as it's from the president. Um, those are the things they did, none of which were mentioned by Kevin McCarthy several months ago when he was advocating why we should put Republicans in charge. And I think this is one of those things that Democrats really need to hammer. And I think it's also something the media needs to hammer. And real quick, they need to hammer both sides on this. Okay. I believe firmly in, Hey, you said you were going to do these things. And when you got in power, you did these, you didn't do these things. Now, I understand nobody's going to fulfill every promise they make, okay? Uh, Washington, D.C. is a large institution with hundreds of members, and you have to get all of them to agree with you to get anything the fuck done. So that by itself is a monumental task. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to blame a president for not fulfilling all their promises or a political party not fulfilling all their promises, but I do think it's interesting that in an entire week of hey, they're the house. They control the house. They can literally propose anything they want. Anything. And the first things they proposed were this. And not a single one of them was mentioned by Kevin McCarthy two months ago before he even knew he was going to be speaker. So I think that that's very telling. And we'll see what's coming up this week. I'm hoping to do something like this every Monday, just kind of go over what the fuck happened last week in the House. Because again, it's important to hold these fuckers accountable. It's important to know, hey, you promised X and you never even brought it up. Like I understand situations change and everything, but like the border hasn't changed. Fentanyl is still out there. According to you, the police are underfunded. Well, what the fuck, man? Because the first thing you did was go after abortion shit. Which, oh, by the way, is one of the reasons you lost big. Like, it's one of those things. It's like, hey, maybe you should know this. Anyway, uh, I was hoping to get to the debt ceiling argument, but I guess I'll have to save that for tomorrow. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. I'm sorry this one ran so long. Apparently, I had a lot more to talk about than I thought I did. Uh, you guys have a great day. Stay safe. Please get vaccinated. Wear a mask if you need to. Otherwise, you know, hey, I understand. It's, uh, it's crazy out there. But this thing did not go away. 
it is still around and it will kill you if you give it the chance. So please be safe. Have a good one. We will see you tomorrow. Are you not entertained? Thanks again for listening. If you want to support the show, please like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcasts.